Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, talk about death, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, what did the pirate say when he turned 80? (laughs) What did the pirate say when he turned 80? I, matey. Oh, God. It's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. I do have some. I do have some wonderful news for you this week. It's sad, but it's still really wonderful. Okay, Hank, it's out of Kentucky. I'm just going to read you the headline from the Associated Press. Kentucky town mourns its first female mayor, Lucy Liu, a dog. <laughs> uh, that story's sad, but also not. Dateline Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. You heard that correctly. Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. The town of Rabbit Hash, Kentucky is known for a string of highly esteemed mayors, one of whom died this week. She was 12 and a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because if it wasn't a dog, that would be a very different story. (laughs) She she was 12 and a dog. Um, She was 12 and a dog. I mean, good on Rabbit Hash, though maybe yep. your first female mayor should have been a human being. Uh, well, maybe, but to be fair, uh, Lucy Lou was Rabbit Hash's third dog mayor. So they've had good luck with dog mayors in the past, <laughs> I guess. And uh, by all accounts, Lucy Lou was a wonderful mayor, and uh, she will be sorely missed, not just by her family, but also by the larger community of Rabbit Hash. Um, but don't worry, I'm sure that they will elect a new dog mayor soon. In, in small communities, people are busy, and, uh, and the people who will take the, the yoke of pub- public servanthood aren't always the ones that you want to actually do that job. I would argue that's also the case for larger communities. (laughs) Just led by dogs. Not only should dogs vote, dogs should also vote for dogs. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, Hank, before we get too political, let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Liza, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I don't smoke, but most of my friends at college do. I always turn down cigarettes when they offer them to me. But now I've started an internship where most of my colleagues also smoke. I usually go outside with them while they smoke so I can keep chatting with them, but my boss keeps offering me cigarettes. I've said multiple times that I'm not a smoker and I don't want to become one, but she keeps asking if I want one. How do I not give in to peer pressure when it comes to my new boss? Probably breathing in secondhand smoke right now. Liza. Liza, where do you work in 1962? <laughs> I don't I don't understand. Um, this is are are you sure they're not vaping? <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you checked to see if these are in fact jewels? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I am, I am shocked that you are having this particular problem in this particular year. It's not, not a problem. It is a problem and it's frustrating. And honestly, if I were you, I wouldn't go out to breathe that secondhand smoke. I would just get some extra emails written. Uh, but then you wouldn't get all that good socializing time with your boss. And everybody knows that chatting up your boss is important. So I don't know, like, like this is literally why people who don't want to smoke end up smoking and addicted to cigarettes. So you are mm. in the situation right now where th like this happens to people and it's happening to you and I don't want it to happen to you. Yeah, Liza, I would just say like, of course I don't want to smoke. Like, of <laughs> course I don't want a cigarette. Have, have you seen the news? <laughs> Have you seen the sign behind the cigarettes and on the side of the cigarettes and the picture on the back of the cigarettes? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, actually, that's maybe what I would do. Next time your boss offers you a cigarette, you should pick up the pack and say, maybe I'll have a cigarette. Oh, wait, no. The Surgeon General is warning me that this is a bad idea right here on, on the package. Hank, we need to move on because even though I quit smoking 17 years ago, talking about it, makes me think about smoking so let's just go let's move on this next question comes from megan who asks dear hank and john we have magnifying mirrors that make things bigger and funhouse mirrors that do all kinds of crazy things why don't we have prescription mirrors surely they just have to cut the glass like they do for eyeglasses i just want to be able to fit my makeup brush between my face and the mirror and be able to see sin see really megan good try good try Hank, why can't we do this? I assume there's a reason. Well, I think we can, actually. It's just that oh. it would be expensive, and you'd have to do it for each individual person, so nobody's ever right. thought of it. I think Megan may have invented something. Megan, you have your first Hank thinks it's a million-dollar idea, $200 idea. <laughs> I don't know. There may be limitations to this technology that I don't know. You would have to be the same distance from the mirror at all times. But like if Megan chooses a distance that she prefers to do her makeup at, then we would be able to create that focal length and have, I think, have it be in focus for her. I don't know if that's necessarily true uh, because I'm not an op optics expert, but I think that it would work. Maybe it would just magnify it. Now I'm now I'm second guessing myself. Yeah, I'm not sure it would work in reflection. John, I just wanted to let you know that there is a US patent on a prescription mirror. Oh, it is a thing that exists. It was patented in 1999, so it's not that recent of a thing. Um and it was by Leon Goldstein and Arthur Dorf. So congratulations to them on their patent. No idea if that is a thing that has gotten used yet. It looks very fancy. You want to know something interesting about the guy who invented that? 
Sure, John. I mean, prepare to be really, really surprised. <laughs> okay. I have met him. Really? Which one? Dr. Dorf. <laughs> Tell me about Dr. Dorf. I met him when I was having all kinds of uh, weird eye problems that turned out to be uh, orbital cellulitis. Oh, he has a bunch of he has a bunch of patents. Well, there you go. He seemed like a nice guy. He knows a lot about eyes, so that's who you should talk to. Right? Call call Doctor Dorf. That's our, the new podcast. Call Doctor Dorf. Oh my God! What a great podcast idea. Does Doctor Dorf have a podcast, or is he just? <laughs> Wasting his life saving people's eyesight. <laughs> I love it, though. I mean, if you have a name like Dr. Dorf, you can't not have a podcast. It's rules. The answer is he does not have a podcast. Did you look it up? Yeah. Did you check? I just, of course he doesn't have a podcast. He's a 68-year-old optician. Uh, um, he's an ophthalmologist. And also, now that I've seen a picture of him, I, th- I don't think I saw him. I think I might have seen one of his colleagues. Anyway, so there you have it. It has been invented. It's just not necessarily commercially available yet. Correct. Um, it, it turns out that it was a good idea, but not good enough. I, Hank, I wish you were able to say that to yourself more often. This next question comes from Wesley, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've struggled with confidence issues for a while now. When I was an undergraduate, I didn't want to switch my major because I felt like I wasn't smart enough, but I did well when I did switch my major, and after that, it took a while to convince myself to go to graduate school, but I did, and I did well. Now I'm trying to get into medical school, but I still struggle with feeling like I don't actually have what it takes. Maybe I feel less physically anxious when I try new things now, but that nagging insecurity is still there. Do people ever really feel confident, or does everyone just try to do things anyway and see if they work out? Wesley. In my experience, and of course this is different for every person, you uh, you end up feeling confident at something after you do it for a pretty long time. Like, so going into medical school is not a time in, in which I think most people will feel confident. They will feel confused and scared and not sure if they will be able to do this thing that many people end up not being able to do and dropping out of. And so, like, that's normal and... I think that people who go in feeling confident are just as likely to drop out as people who go in feeling like they're not sure. Yeah, Wesley, here's what I would say. I do not want a medical student who is brimming with confidence. (laughs) I don't even want a new doctor who's brimming with confidence. I want you to be terrified. I mean, not not of like you're cutting me open with a scalpel. Like, I don't want you to be like... Uh, two, two on the edge of terror, but yeah, like I want to live. And so I want you to care about whether I live. Right. I, Cause I don't want to die. I want Wesley to think at least six times, is this the correct medication to prescribe to this patient <laughs> on the first day I've ever prescribed medicine? Yeah. Which is almost definitely the case. It seems like you've got a great mentality for being a doctor. Overconfidence is is uh, overrated. Yes, yes, <laughs> it might be the most overrated <laughs> virtue of the twenty first century. Like it can get you elected president, but it doesn't make you good at being president. <laughs> That's a good example, John. Thanks. All right. Well, before this becomes a political podcast, which would be a disaster, we're going to move to our next question from Jamie, who asks, "Dear Hank and John." 
So in my family, uh-oh, it's, it's still going to be political, John. I forgot about this question. So in my family, we share two cars among three drivers. Most of the time, my mom drives the minivan and I drive the Camry. Can I take my parents' window stickers off the back windshield? It's just that we have different opinions about the organization those window stickers are supporting, and I don't want to be advertising for an organization I don't like. Do I just put up with it like you would put up with a roommate's MK Don's poster? Reprehensible, but still their property. Or do I get some say because I'm the one the person behind me in traffic is actually making assumptions about? Not a Lannister or a Fraser, Jamie. Is there a Jamie Fraser? I don't know what that is. Oh, yes, the hot hunk of love in the Outlander series. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh God, Jamie Fraser, whoo, doggy! What were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about bumper stickers, John. I, yeah, well, so I, I, I talked about this one with Catherine, and she was like, "It's not your car. You can't, you can't do anything to it. Like, it's not your property." And then, but then, this is a great point at the end because. I do think things about people based on their bumper stickers, and I wouldn't want someone to think something about me that I don't believe. It's like, well, it's not a bumper sticker. It's a thing in the window that you can take yeah, off that's, and that's then my question. put back on. If it's removable and replaceable, they don't even have to know. Just do it. Right. And if it's a bumper sticker, maybe you could just like put a little sign up that like that covers it or that says like my mom likes this organization totally <laughs> totally you get a second bumper sticker with an arrow that says my mom likes this but i totally disagree <laughs> then you just put it on the moment you leave like you pull out of the driveway stop half a block away put it on and then when you're coming home, you take it off. Or you could just get a, another bumper sticker that says there is a diversity of opinions among the people who drive this car. <laughs> John, John, we need to make that bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, that adds actually a really... Wait, Hank, I just accidentally had a million dollar idea. <laughs> there is a diversity of opinions among people who drive this car. Bumper sticker is now available at DFTBA.com. <laughs> right now, I'm making it available for pre-order before the pod goes up. Okay, it's there. Uh, because, because of course, that's true. Uh, I mean... Uh, most cars, I, I guess may, maybe most cars aren't driven by multiple people, but in my household, that is definitely true. And there's a diversity of opinions in my household. Oren, for example, thinks that Woody Guthrie's car song is the only song. <laughs> this is a pretty good song. I, I, I mean, Oren has better taste than my kids. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that song. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that is probably a good solution. I was thinking, what would what would I do if my roommate had an MK Don's poster? And the answer is that on my side of the room, I would be like, there is a diversity of opinions in this room <laughs> about whether or not to support a franchise that stole their league place from another team. Anyway, I think this is a good solution. I think we've I think we've solved the problem for once. For once, we did it. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Martha, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what do you do when people you're friends with keep making fun of someone else you're friends with? High school sucks, Martha. I don't know. Like, it, that's going to depend on who you are, and and not doing anything about that is definitely an option. Like, if, if you don't want to, like, cause, like, any ruckus in your friend group, like, 
like that is an option but uh, but i think it also like you could do the thing where you tell your friends that you like that person and you don't really get why they're being mean to them and they're like maybe there is a way for them to realize that what they're doing isn't isn't nice and is cruel and and like you don't think that it's funny or fun and it it is making you think less of them not more of them Maybe that's feedback that they can incorporate and, and like, it won't disrupt that dynamic too much. Also, maybe it does disrupt the dynamic so much that, like, it doesn't feel like a comfortable friend group for you anymore. And maybe that's because, like, these aren't the people that you're supposed to be friends with. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is that sometimes you don't feel safe to say those things. And if you don't feel safe to say those things, I I understand. But I also think that, you know, the the person who's being made fun of and who probably feels and is extremely vulnerable, if you can represent that person and represent their personhood to your group of friends, it might help them to see that the person that they're making fun of is not Mm -hmm. like an idea or an object, but is instead an individual human who has you know, feelings and and worries and fears and vulnerabilities just like anybody else. Yeah. And I mean, this is a, it's such a hard time of life when we're trying to define ourselves and, and oftentimes define ourselves in opposition to other people or like to, to like, we all are suffering from like in high school times, but also other times we're suffering from, you know, feeling insecure and not valuable and, <clears throat> trying to uh, trying to push down someone else to make us feel bigger, to try and shrink down the size of someone else to ma- to like make us look bigger in comparison is a way that we do that, but it's the wrong way to do that. And I uh, and I think that like you know realizing that, figuring it out, and helping other people figure it out is a really good thing to be doing if you can. But of course, also sometimes you can't. This reminds me of the Vlogbrothers video I wrote in about how people should stop making fun of Kim Kardashian because she's a person and her feelings matter. And I sent it to Hank and Rosiana and they were like, this is not the hill that you want to die on. (laughs) Well, I think that Kim Kardashian's ego is okay. Like at the moment. I don't know, man. I, the the whole idea, I don't know the whole idea that people feel completely comfortable punching up because those people have infinite resources to deal with the fact that you're punching up at them. I just don't buy it. Uh, maybe partly because I've been punched up at, but I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> All right, John. Well, uh, you know, en- enough with the, the silly, easy questions. Let's get a real, a real toughie here. It's from Brian who asks, Dear Hank and John, as Halloween is approaching, I find my anxiety growing stronger. I don't like Halloween, but my office dresses up. I don't want to be that guy and show up to work with no costume and be a buzzkill, but I also don't want to go through the effort to celebrate a holiday I don't care about. Should I quit my job? Call in sick? Write book on my face like Jim Halpert? Not Ryan, but Brian. Uh, Brian, I feel you here. I do not like dressing up for Halloween. I'm 41 years old. I'm not in the costume <laughs> business. I'm not like my brother prancing around as Dr. Lawrence Turtleman. I, like... I bought the clothes that I bought because I'm comfortable in them and I like wearing them. I don't want to like wear them 364 days and then the other day dress up like Woody from Toy Story. 
It's just like John, John has never had the thought. Finally, I get to be more expressive in my clothing. Yeah, no, uh, I literally haven't. I, like, I, I actually, I didn't even understand that idea until just now when you expressed it to me in language that made sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I think calling in sick is not a terrible idea. Like, I you totally get vacation agree. days, right? Yeah, go like go to a thing go uh do like indulge in a thing that you like doing uh whether that's like like staying home and, and reading a book or going to the go-kart place and and owning all the the little 12 year olds celebrating their birthdays some of those 12 year olds you can't compete with because they weigh so much less <laughs> it's true it's a, it is a function of acceleration i was go-karting recently and this absolutely snot-faced 12 year old passed me in humiliating fashion, then slowed down <laughs> to let me pass them, and then passed me again. It was like, I liked that. Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this whenever I want, nerd. <laughs> yeah, Brian, go go-karting. That's a great solution. That's a great Halloween tradition. You just have to build your own Halloween tradition. So, you know, like people who don't celebrate Christmas, sometimes they'll go out for lunch and then watch a movie by themselves or something on Christmas Day. You just got to build your own Halloween tradition so that eventually you will love Halloween. You just won't love it in the way that everyone else loves it. You won't be like into the trick-or-treating part of Halloween. You'll have your own Halloween rituals. I, I think that's a great solution. If Brian doesn't want to do this and does want to go to work, is there a costume that Brian can wear that is is like people see it and they're like, ah, oh, well done. But also it's just his normal clothes. No, that's the problem, because all those low effort. The whole problem with Halloween is that high effort costumes are good and low effort costumes yeah. are all bad. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate Halloween. Oh, Brian, you're stressing me out, reminding me that Halloween is coming. Oh, I got to like dress. I got my kids are going to want me to do something and they're going to, well, uh, dad, why don't you dress? Why don't you? And then you maybe put on a witch hat and everyone's like, oh, that's not a costume. That's just a witch hat. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to change pants for this event. One thing you might try, Brian, is going so hard on your Halloween costume that you humiliate everyone else in the office and they just quit <laughs> Halloween forever. You know, yeah, like, just like, yeah, yeah. Like, it, could you get could you get one year for there to be a rule? The person who wins the Halloween costume contest gets to decide the future of Halloween costume practices. And the way that I would suggest going super hard for Halloween is I would suggest going to work as the rock, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Uh huh. But instead of you know, like getting like a muscle suit or whatever, I would just hire Dwayne The Rock Johnson to go to your work on Halloween. <laughs> and just wear your clothes. Wear your clothes. And he's just absolutely busting out of them. And he knows enough about your life. He's a good actor. He's a really good actor, actually. He that he can just follow along, you know? And he can just, <laughs> just make your office believe like, wow, Brian like became The Rock for a day. And then everyone will be like, ah, Halloween's no good anymore. It's the, Brian's too good at it. <laughs> I love the idea of paying someone to go to your Halloween party for you, just anyone. And like, oh yeah, like, that's true. You don't have to. You it don't have to have hire to be the, the rock. rock. You could just you could just hire a local actor to pretend that they're you. Yeah, yeah. Just give could them you do your that clothes? every day at work? I don't think so. Uh, I think. <laughs> It's an, look, it's an interesting look, idea. Look, local actor, if, I need to pay you to act like you're a database consultant. 
Wait, Hank, I think we might be on to something. What if you paid a local actor $28,000 a year to do your $32,000 a year job, and then you got 14 jobs? I think... And, but you got 14 jobs, but your main job was just managing. Right. Act. Yeah. Right. You are now just a manager. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. A, yeah. That's actually essentially what businesses are. <laughs> you've cre- now that I think about it. Congratulations, John. You've created capitalism. I, I've created the limited liability corporation. <laughs> Brian, I think we've solved your problem now. Um, you're going to have to hire 400 actors to do 400 different jobs for a slightly lower rate of pay than you are being paid to do them. Congratulations on your new business. <laughs> All right, Hank, this next question comes from Allison, who writes, Dear John and Hank, in my high school, we watch a lot of Crash Course videos in one of my classes. I th- thank your teacher for us, Allison. The problem is that my entire school thinks that Hank is actually John. I don't see the problem. I realized this was... <laughs> Me either. I I realized this when we watched one one day and a kid in my class asked if Hank was that guy who wrote The Fault in Our Stars and everyone just agreed that he was. I knew that the person in the video was actually Hank, but it was too awkward for me to say anything about it and I figured it would never come up again. But now when we watch Crash Course videos, my teacher will introduce the Hank ones as being made by John Green, the author of The Fault in Our Stars. (laughs) Is it my responsibility as someone who knows who Hank is to tell my class that Hank is not John or should I just let my school continue to think that Hank and John are the same person? Thanks for the help, Allison. Man, I like I get this a lot. I get yeah. this a lot. People will be like, uh, when is your new book coming out? And I'll be like, well, it's my first book. And they're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, I get it a lot, uh, too. It's going to be a weird conversation we're about to have. I'd rather just let you keep believing it. When I met Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, he very helpfully said to me, now, are you the science one or the other one? <laughs> that's wonderful i didn't know that i love that so much it feel, makes me feel very good if you happen to come across us in public and you want to say hi feel free to do so but uh don't if you're if you're trying to guess which one you've got the best way to ask is are you the science one or the or are you the other one honestly Nobody gets to be the author of The Fault in Our Stars except John Green, and that's not fair. So why not have two people get to get to be that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, but not in a way that makes me want to share the royalties. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bother either of us, I think. I was at the movies the other day, and somebody walked up to me and pointed at me and said, Hank Green, right? And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to pee and get back to the movie. <laughs> But on the other hand, I don't know if I can let this misinformation stand. And I, I was like, oh, no, I'm his brother. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it's really, it's not a big deal. And they were like, no, I'm so sorry. Like, of course, I know that. It's just, and I was like, it's really, I really, it's, it's not a big deal. It's really not, not a big, big deal. deal. Like, I like I want, my brother. I, it's fine. I walked into a bar one time. Uh, it's like, you know, it's bar. It's a bar. It's dark. Uh, and a guy, like, at the bar, uh, looks over at me, points at me with both fingers, and he says, Vsauce. <laughs> and I was like, good enough. Good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, maybe in no should, way do I look like Vsauce, maybe, but okay. Maybe that's what we should do, Hank. Maybe you should just accept it no matter what. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Vsauce. Vsauce. <laughs> It's real good internet video. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Surgeon General. The Surgeon General. I mean, 
you should not smoke. And this podcast is brought to you by Ask Dr. Dorf. Ask Dr. Dorf, a brand new comedy podcast about ophthalmology. And finally, today's podcast is brought to you by This Car Contains a Diversity of Opinions, a real bumper sticker that we just invented that is available for pre-order at dftpa.com right now. Hank, you're not busy. Uh, do you mind designing This Car Contains a Diversity of Opinion bumper sticker? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just designed a bunch of an absolutely remarkable thing merch and i was just like this is what i'm doing this is like my like watching the great british bake-off and designing merch ah uh, uh, it's fine that's good fine. i also think it's weird to design merch for a pro for a book that nobody's read yet uh, but here i am well i think it. it's i i think it's good that you are uh focusing on something other than the big huge ball of stress in front of you which m most of which yeah. you can do nothing about correct Correct. We also have a Project for Awesome message. D from Texas donated to the Project for Awesome to get us to say this, only part of which I still agree with. Donating was a special moment for me. For the last few years, I've been fighting to make it. When the journey started to feel Sisyphean, I remembered John's proclamation. Over time, the overall size of the pizza gets bigger, so even if your slice is small, you will ultimately get more. Whenever I became disheartened, I clung to the truth resists simplicity. Dee, thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome, and I'm so happy that you're finally in a position to donate to the Project for Awesome. I will say, when I made that video, I was pretty sure that I was right, and I'm not sure that I was right now, because despite the fact that the overall economy has grown quite a lot in the last 20 years, wages have not grown at all. Uh, so it seems like there are times, at least, where wages stay very stagnant, even as the economy grows. So... Hopefully that is something that will get better in the future, but it's not going to get better unless we do something about it. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. All right, John, we got another question. This one comes from Connor, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've been something of a regular at a Starbucks near my home, but I'm not sure I can ever go back. Yesterday, when one of the baristas asked me if my cups needed sleeves, I answered that it was already hot out, and I don't, didn't think that they would need sleeves. After a pause, she laughed but it could very easily have been out of pity. How do you return to a place where you've embarrassed yourself by making a terrible dad joke? Nobody puts baby in the Connor. <laughs> you've just made sure. another one. 
That's even way worse. <laughs> well, like, how do you return to this podcast after that name-specific sign-off? Well, this is a great question for Hank because he faces this problem on a weekly basis. <laughs> Just, it's all about it's all about being confident in your dad joke, could my friend. Uh, you got to be proud of whatever whatever giggle you extract from anyone, <laughs> even if it's a pity giggle. <laughs> That's it. That is the answer. This next question comes from Cheyenne, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my roommate has a friend who likes to stop by unannounced, and things are starting to get out of hand. The last few times she's shown up, my roommate hasn't even been home, but she has to take oh. a bus to get here, so it's weird to turn her away at the door. It's midnight now, yeah. and I really want to go to bed, but she's still here. Oh... She just spent the last hour pouring her heart out to me about how she has trouble making friends because she's incredibly sensitive and is going through some serious health problems, so I feel bad kicking her out. How should I let yeah. her know that it's time to leave without hurting her feelings? Oh, boy, Cheyenne. Cheyenne, this is a proper problem, but I have to first tell you a story about a friend of mine <laughs> who shall remain nameless. So, Cheyenne, my first apartment in Chicago, which I shared with three roommates, had a door that was locked and none of us had the key, so we came and went... Uh, usually through a back window, which sounds oh weird now, but at the time, yep. you know, we were 22. It didn't seem that weird. I don't know. It must have seemed weird. It, it, That's very weird. It didn't feel weird to me. Anyway, one day I come home and sitting on my couch is a friend of mine from high school whom I have not seen in six years. And my friend is watching the Cubs game. And I walk in through the back window as usual, and I see my friend watching the Cubs game, eating uh, Honey Nut Cheerios out of the box, my Honey Nut Cheerios. And he just looks up at me and he says, hey, John. And we hang out for about three <laughs> hours. Uh, he was in town for something, he wanted to see a concert. We hung out for about three hours. He went to his concert. I have not seen him since. <laughs> How did he find your window? But I am waiting. I am waiting for the day when I come to my house after work and he's sitting there watching a Cubs game, eating what is now probably cinnamon life, because that's what my kids like. <laughs> oh, I haven't eaten cereal out of the box in way too long. Oh, it's God. It's a that's pleasure. So that sounds great. That sounds great. What a, It's a Saturday morning joyride. <laughs> Car cartoons and cereal straight out of the box. It's a Saturday morning joyride. But Cheyenne, you actually had a question, which is a toughie, um, and I I think that they're uh, like this person is probably like reading your signals, but not wanting to read them. So it's not really a, a problem of you sending the wrong signals. Probably you've said like, "Oh, I'm getting really sleepy," and you've yawned a bunch, and it's still happening because this person is looking for someone to lean on and is desperate for that, and you are the person who is there. Right, but you can't hold it. You can't hold this person's problems. You can't be this person's solution. And so I I would think you need to talk first to your roommate because your roommate is the ostensible friend here. Your roommate is the person who has the pre-existing relationship. I think you need to talk to your roommate and say, look, this person is coming by a lot. They're staying late. They're coming by unannounced. And that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. And it is sort of a, uh, like, there has been a, a couple of times in my life where someone has, uh, has kind of intentionally stayed until the chance for them to leave has ended. 
And then they're like, well, I can't go home now. All of the people who have cars left. And it's like, well, I feel like you made that decision. And so right. they made the decision to come to this place, not knowing, like, it, it, like to sort of put them in the situation where it's hard for them to leave, despite the fact that they didn't tell anybody that they were coming. It is kind of a m- manipulative behavior. That's not to say that they don't have legitimate problems and, like, they, they don't need help. Um, they probably do. And... Uh, and and the ways in which you are providing that support is good work, and you're doing that, but you are not required to do it any more than you already have. Yeah, it's tough, though. I mean, it is tough, and I and I think that you absolutely like you should do what you can for this person, but like you should also go to sleep sometime. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself too. In fact, you got to take care of yourself first. All right, Hank. One more question before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question comes from Rachel. Dear John and Hank, I recently had to have a rib removed. Oh. My surgeon let me keep my rib. <laughs> Was that a conversation? What does that look like? Do you want your rib or do you say, do you, who brought it up? I want to know who brought it up. Uh, I, I, I have a totally different take on this, which is, of course, the surgeon let you keep your rib. It's your rib. (laughs) Just because the surgeon cut it out of you doesn't make it theirs. I think that like, yeah, I'm not expecting the surgeon to take it home. I don't want I don't want the surgeon to have a collection of ribs, but I (laughs) do. Uh, yeah great point hank if there is a surgeon out there with a collection of ribs they should be immediately removed from surgery forever (laughs) yeah i mean that's one reason to keep your rib is to just prevent the exactly the the hoarding instinct that some people might have to be like well i've got two i might as well have more I guess this is my collection now. It's like right. when your grandma gives you like two two like little uh, antique glass candy jars and then suddenly that's your thing. Uh, I mean, I would argue it's not exactly like that. <laughs> but I see the analogy. Yeah. Um, the thing is, you choose to bring home that first rib if you're a surgeon. <laughs> and that choice is very weird. <laughs> yeah, so... Don't make that choice. Rachel, back to your question. How do I appropriately artfully display my rib? Oh, gosh. People have suggested scrimshaw or that I carve a picture onto my rib. I think I should just frame it and call it spare rib. What are your suggestions? P.S. Attached is a picture of my rib in a jar. And I have to say, (laughs) it's bigger than I expected. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it is a hunk of bone. Let's see. I don't think that you are going to develop the the techniques necessary to scrimshaw your own rib. I just don't think that I don't like for this one task, unless you like want this to be something that you do more of, you scrimshaw other people's ribs. I think probably you're going to want to give your rib to a professional scrimshaw artist. I, to- I totally, I totally agree with you. Y- you go to the person who already has developed a talent for scrimshawing human ribs. <laughs> no, no. Not, don't. Just not human invent, ribs, just any scrimshaw at all. Don't invent the wheel on this one, Rachel. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Have you talked to your surgeon about the possibility that they might be an expert in scrimshawing ribs? <laughs> they have good fine motor skills, presumably. Let's hope. Uh, boy, oh boy. I... 
Uh, I'm glad that you have your rib. It might just be for the closet. No, 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 no. It's definitely for display. Um, the more you can make it look like an art piece, the better it gets. The less it looks like it was your rib. And I have to say, looking at this picture it, with your rib in a jar, it looks a lot like it was your rib. The more you can do <laughs> to kind of make it feel like art, the better it's going to work when people are like, oh, tell me about that piece. And you're like, oh, that's called spare rib. It's my rib. <laughs> Maybe just, you need to get like a lot of sculpture, you know, yeah. so mm -hmm. there's a big wall of sculpture in your house and people will be and you can be like, this is a pot from the Indus Valley civilization. Sure. Uh, this, of course, is a bowl from Han China. And this is spare rib. My rib. My rib. Scrimshot by legendary scrimshot artist, my surgeon, Dr. Dorf. <laughs> what a great Dr. Dorf callback. Oh my God. Yeah, sure. Because he works on ribs too. All right, Hank, it's time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. The news this week from the world's favorite third-tier English football team. Two pieces of news. First off, Hank, as you recently found out, uh, AFC Wimbledon has a new training kit sponsor. The sponsor of Wimbledon's training <laughs> kits is an absolutely remarkable thing. A, a hit new novel coming out September 25th and available for pre-order now. Thank you, John. Um, that's very cool and weird, and I, it's very cool and weird. Uh, I tried to focus most of the sponsorships on things that you like and you would be proud of and not make it too much of a Homer gift, but yep. I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to sponsor those, uh, those training kits, not least because Wimbledon just needs extra money before we get into the new stadium. So anyway, happy to do it. I do prefer the sponsorship of the Dutch national Quidditch team personally, <laughs> and also all of the robotics teams, which is just genius. Um, but but also thank you for my AFC Wimbledon sponsorship. Well, you're welcome. AFC Wimbledon in Football League One played Gillingham last week, and we won. We won one to nil, uh, which is great. It means we kept a clean sheet and we won the game. So all around a good result playing against Barry Fuller, which was difficult. He was a he played a great game, actually. But we did win the game. We won on a goal from Joe Piggott. You know what the Wimbledon fans sing when Joe Piggott scores? Hank, tell me, John. They sing, uh, feed the pig, feed the pig, feed <laughs> the pig, and he will score. <laughs> Is it true? It's true. If you feed the pig, he scores. All right. Excellent news. Hank, that win means that AFC Wimbledon have risen up from 20th all the way to the dizzying heights of 13th in the League One table, eight points after seven games. Hank, what is the news from Mars this week? We're just going to go with some uh, some fancy, like, Mars fan news, John. Yeah. An artist and PhD candidate in the Netherlands studying the formation of Jupiter's moons, Nick Oberg, created um, what might a mission to Mars on the uh, the SpaceX Big Falcon ship uh, look like on the inside. Mm. So as we you know have like seen that there's a lot of space inside of the potential ship capsule for the the Big Falcon rocket, um, the you know what's going to actually be inside of there is totally unknown and a mystery, and we don't have any way of like you know planning that but this artist took it on himself to just plan it out and and see how those those uh 
cubic inches would all be used, and it's got everything from vines growing on it to produce a little bit of oxygen, but also for aesthetic value. It's got a guy sitting on his space toilet. It's got bunk rooms for people. It's got transmission systems. It's got everything you need for a trip to Mars. It's even got a little a greenhouse for growing some leafy vegetables, which everybody's going to want. You know it. Uh, so I, when I was growing up, these, uh, cutaways of spaceships, uh, like, like there would, like these big books of spaceship cutaways would always be like so detailed and beautiful and weird. And you could spend so much time looking at them and finding new things, uh, that when I saw this, I loved it. And, uh, if you want to see it, you can, you can look up Nick Oberg's name. He's done a lot of Mars art, um, and has a really bare bones website that has all of that Mars art on it. So... Uh, I suggest you do that. Um, just I pro- probably if you just Google Nick Oberg, it's O B E R G. You can find it. So thanks to Nick for doing some cool art. And uh, if you want to delve into it, you can also see an article about it at uh, Insider, which is at thisisinsider.com. It is pretty cool, but the main thing it makes me think, Hank, is that it seems like it's going to be very crowded in there. I mean, so much less crowded than previous missions but yeah you are going to be in there for a year with your friends so i mean in it's like being in a like a 400 square foot apartment for a year with your friends which is why they've done experiments putting people in small containers and having them sort of stuck for years at a time together and uh, figured out how people can and can't get along in those situations astronauts are different from me (laughs) (laughs) yeah they are john uh, I just I just learned that uh, all of the not all of the astronauts but many Apollo astronauts uh, ate moon dust. Just they didn't they don't they they had done no chemical analysis on it. They didn't know what it was. They just tasted it. They just licked the moon. And I was like, there is no one less like John Green in the world. <laughs> what a terrible idea! <laughs> I can't like oh what the. F- like, did they, like, get their hands d- dirty with moon dust and then go back into the spaceship, take off their spacesuits and lick their hands? It was the 60s. Okay, Hank, I sure am glad I'm not going to Mars. Thank you for potting with me. It has been a pleasure, as always. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you want to email us, you can do so at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We need your questions. It's how we make the pod. Uh, this podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing is by the great Gunnar Rola, and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.